0: It is, uh, it's great to be together on a Wednesday night, and I was standing up by my truck uh, right out here in the parking lot, and all of a sudden I felt little drops, so I got to thinking how blessed we are on a Wednesday night to come into a beautiful room like this with air conditioning, we've got food, thank you ladies and gentlemen for bringing food, and and her team, that all that they do for us with the coffee and the, and the food. We are a blessed church, aren't we? Amen. So it can rain cats and dogs, and we're, we're safe and ready to go. Amen. All right, uh, this is really starting to, let's see if I can make it. Okay, tonight we finish, we're going to finish up 1 uh, Kings. And then we'll start in the Second Kings. <laughs> so, so last week, what a what a chapter, chapter twenty one, huh? And all that's going on there. And there's more to come. I mean, you you learned a lot about Jezebel, or you should have. I uh, thank Scotty for teaching uh, last last Wednesday night. We were up in Nashville. Uh, I was laid up in the bed in Nashville in a hotel because of my neck. Much better now, and I thank the Lord for that. Um, but Jezebel, we're going to hear more from her. We're going to we're going to we're going to come back to that when we get into Second Kings, and uh, it, it's it'll it'll be good. But tonight we finished First Kings, and and really, if you think about it, uh, the kings started First Kings started on a pinnacle with David, verse, you know, and 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 David's reign, and he was handing off to his son. Solomon and just what a great kingdom David had. And it ends, unfortunately, on an extremely low point uh, as all of these kings of the northern kingdom, Israel, were unfaithful to God and exposed the people to false idols and then legislated false idols. And last week you you learned about, more about Ahab. This week we see the, the end for Ahab. And it was as God prophesied, it's being fulfilled tonight in this chapter. So let's get started if we can. We'll pick up at verse 1, but let's start with prayer. Lord, we do want to begin with prayer, giving thanks to you for uh, the, the opportunity to be the body of Christ and come together and love each other and talk to one another and, and just catch up. And uh, if necessary, pray for one another and, and just be the church. And I'm thankful for each person here this evening, Lord. Thank you for them. Bless them. Father, I thank you for those who are watching by live stream. For whatever reason, they're unable to be with us. And I pray that you'd bless them And tonight, the teaching would encourage their heart and would strengthen them. And Lord, most of all, we pray that the Word of God would cut deep where we need to see things that we're not looking at. Sometimes we have blind spots and... Sometimes you send a good godly friend to us to point that blind spot out. Sometimes, usually it's by the Word of God that the Holy Spirit brings conviction to us. And so tonight we're just asking you to use the Word to do your surgery in our hearts. And Lord, but the Word is more than just a book. It's actually described as a hammer. And it does sometimes hammer us. But it also is a comfort to us. It's an encouragement to us. It's a strengthening for us. And I pray that tonight, everyone would, even if we are convicted of something, that we would still know that it's for our good that, Father, your Word has revealed that to us by the Spirit. And we just give you praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Well, it says, for three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. Again, uh, Syria is to the north of Israel. Israel is the northern kingdom. Judah is the southern kingdom located in the region of Judea, uh, around Jerusalem. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth, Gilead, belongs to us? And we keep quiet, and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat... Now, who is Jehoshaphat? Anybody remember? Jehoshaphat is the king of the southern kingdom, Judah. And he said to the king of the southern kingdom, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. So I will join you, is what he's saying. Now, understand previously, the king of Syria promised to return certain cities to Israel in exchange for leniency. After his defeat, Israel defeated them, and they were going to kill him. And he and Ahab made he made some lenient decisions. He gave the guy uh, some some land, and the guy said, "And I'll give it back." And so this is this is one of the pieces of land that he's supposed to give back. This this Ramoth Gilead, and in first in fact turn there, First Kings chapter twenty. Just go back. Two chapters to chapter 20. Let's look at verse 34. Here's here's where this occurred. This is where that negotiation took place after the battle that Syria lost. The king of Syria now, this is what happens. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, said to Ahab, the cities that my father took from your father I will restore, and you may establish bazaars for yourself in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. And Ahab said, I will let you go on these terms. So he made a covenant with him and let him go. Well, part of that covenant was this town that has never been turned back over to Israel. Apparently, this was a city that Ben-Hadad, uh, <clears throat> for whatever reason, strategically probably liked it because it put him in the within reach of the northern kingdom. Uh, he could strike from there. Now, what would make you wonder is why in the world would the southern kingdom uh, kingdom king, which is Jehoshaphat, why would he get involved with the northern kingdom, which is wicked? And I wondered about that, and here's how I found out what I think is why. I went to the maps, and I found that this town that belonged to the northern kingdom is only 30 miles from Jerusalem. This is at the southern end of the northern kingdom. And so Jehoshaphat is thinking of the protection he wants to provide for his people. He would rather the land belong to the northern kingdom than to the Syrians. Okay, he doesn't want the Syrians that close to Jerusalem. So, verse 5 and Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. Okay, so now remember Jehoshaphat, the southern kingdom, which had some kings that were faithful to God. They also had wicked kings, but there were some faithful kings. Jehoshaphat was not a bad king. He was a pretty good king. And so he's saying, I'm going to go to battle with you, but uh, I need you to bring forth the the prophet of God. I want to know what God thinks about us going to battle. Before we go to battle, we need to hear from the Lord. Okay, so this is interesting. He said, inquire first for the word of the Lord. And then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together about, look at this, 400 men and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, or give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat, the southern kingdom said, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Oh, wait a minute. You just had 400 prophets, and you still want one more? Okay, let's keep going, and I think it'll play out. You'll see what's going on. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him. (laughs) Well, tell us what you really think, uh, Ahab. I hate him. Why does he hate this one prophet? For he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. Out of the 400 prophets, not a one of them would go against what the king wanted to hear. They were all a bunch of people pleasers, they were not faithful to the one true and living God. There was one prophet that was faithful, and he's in prison. Why? Because he spoke the truth, and the king didn't want to hear the truth. Now, that can be true of people today who choose not to go to a particular church because when I leave, I feel convicted. Who wants to feel convicted? I just want to feel good. I just want to have a good chicken soup for the soul story on the tail end of one verse of Scripture, and if you can, wrap it all up in 20 minutes. And so they go and they find a church that fits what their itching ears want to hear. Well, that's exactly what's happening here. The king of the northern kingdom, who doesn't want to follow God, does not fear the Lord, has, a, has legislated uh, all-out idol worship of false gods in, in the northern kingdom. He doesn't want to hear the truth. So the one guy who speaks the truth, he, he throws in prison. And and so, uh, I hate him. He never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. So Jehoshaphat's like, well, I hear you, but I would like to hear from this guy. And... Of course, they summoned for, for Micaiah. You wonder what the messenger said to Micaiah. Okay? So, we're going to find out in just a minute. But when, when Jehoshaphat requested to hear from a prophet, Ahab lined up 400 prophets. Okay, 400 false prophets. Well, let me, let me back up. I don't know that they're false prophets. The Bible doesn't say that here. These could have been prophets of the Lord at one time. But they have turned their ear from the Lord. Here's why. Because they fear the king more than God. Anytime there's a man of God or a woman of God who teaches, uh, 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 like Maureen teaching a woman's Bible study, or a pastor preaching to a church, anytime that person fears the people more than they fear the Lord, That's error. They're going to teach error. They're not going to teach truth. Because if you teach the truth, it will step on people's toes. And and so he had surrounded himself with these prophets who probably out of fear of the king, because they saw what happened to Micaiah for speaking the truth, so they're just saying whatever he wants to hear. Okay? Okay. And so Jehoshaphat, not being satisfied, called for Micaiah. And uh, so these phony guys are, are, are standing there looking around like, well, wait a minute, we, we just told him what's going to happen. <clears throat> uh, interesting, let me, let me share this with you. I did a little history research here on, on these prophets, okay? These, these guys worshipped at Bethel in the golden calf center set up by Jeroboam. You have to go back to 1 Kings chapter 12, and in verse 28 it says, So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods. O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt? These two golden calves brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What a bunch of bunk. And these prophets kept their mouths shut, and that's where they convened. So these guys have been fully given to erroneous prophecy for fear of the king. Now, that's interesting here. What exactly did Ahab hate? He says, I hate him. I hate Micaiah. Uh, If you really want to get to the nitty-gritty of it, he hated the word of the Lord. He hated the message of God. He wanted to create his own message. I'll do this my way. Frank Sinatra. He took Frank Sinatra's theme song. And and that's exactly what he did, and it's going to bring him down by the end of this chapter. Verse 10, Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of of Samaria. Remember, Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom, and they're sitting at the gates of the of the city, the city walls. They're sitting on their thrones. There's a threshing floor, and they're sitting there, and they're ruling, they're holding court. Both kings, the northern king and the southern king, are sitting together. Get the picture. And, and it says, uh, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. So these 400 guys are running their mouths. And Zedekiah, the son of Chaninah, that's a tough one, Chaninah, or Chanana, made for himself horns of iron. Now Zedekiah, if you study and look, you'll find that he was like the ruler or the chief of all these 400 prophets of, of, uh, of the northern kingdom. So he makes these horns of iron, and he said, thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. Okay. Now what's interesting here, one of the reasons I think that Jehoshaphat never really gave much credence to the 400 uh, prophets of of the northern kingdom was because they didn't begin their prophecy with, Thus says the Lord. They just started talking. Much like in, in the church today, And I I mean this very respectfully, but I want to be very clear that in many churches today, a sermon has very little Bible in it in some circles. It's more about social sciences, psychology. It's it's a man getting up and just giving his opinion and talking and sharing and a few jokes, and people go home fat and sassy and happy, Uh, but they're not in the Word. These guys did not say, thus says the Lord. Now, the, 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 the chief of all of those guys, Zedekiah, he did. At least he said, uh, thus says the Lord. But just because you use God's name doesn't mean you speak for God. And we see that today, too. Have you ever heard somebody say to you, you're looking at them and you're thinking, how do I explain to them, how do I get them to see that they're about to make a bad mistake? This is not of the Lord. This is not scriptural. It doesn't line up with the Word. I'm concerned for them. Maybe you saw them gossiping, and you want to speak to them in love because you love them. As the church, that's what we do. And they're about to gossip. And you want to say something to them about, you shouldn't have gone to that person over here. You should have gone to the person that you're concerned about. You should have gone to them with that concern. By going to others, you're triangulating. That's sin in the Bible. And and what's the response you'll get from somebody? Well, the Lord told me to do it. You ever heard somebody say, the Lord said, the Lord told me, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. I I, I knew a guy in Palm Beach Gardens that used to come to Bible study in our home. And every week, we would be in a tax studying like this. We'd have time for dialogue, and it never failed. He never went back to Scripture and, 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 and tried to substantiate what he was saying by the Word of God. He'd just say, well, the Lord told me. The Lord, here's what the Lord told me. And finally, I pulled him aside. I didn't want to embarrass him in front of the group, and I said, uh, Ron, um, let me ask you a question. Do you ever miss when you say the Lord told me? Do you ever miss? He goes, what do you mean? I said, do you ever get it wrong? He goes, no, I don't think so. I said, Ron, you're deceived because you're not quoting Bible. And that's the only truth that stands forever. You're quoting yourself. It's not the Lord. Stop using the Lord said. And that's what we should say to Zedekiah. Stop using the Lord's name like thus says the Lord. You're not representing God. You're representing what the king wants to hear. And he's wicked. Okay? Uh, so so we'll, at least he used the proper in, introduction. We'll give him that, you know, he, he at least said, Thus says the Lord. Uh, but here's the point. Okay, here's a side point on this. We should always speak the truth, right? But listen to me, church, listen. Don't speak the truth because it's your opinion. Your opinion's not truth. The truth is the Word. Now when your opinion lines up with the Word, that's truth. But in that case, why would you speak your opinion? If it lines up with the Word, just speak the Word. You see what I'm saying? What does the Scripture say? That my opinion will never return uh, void. I think some Christians believe that's true. No, it says the Word of God will never return void. So. Give people the truth. Speak the truth. Let me say The Word of God, when it's spoken, and I know right now we're kind of in this this picture of correcting someone. Let's get out of that picture for a second. Let's make it bigger than that, because the Word of God works in all situations. What about a situation where you've got uh, uh, someone who's really suffering, they're hurting, they need to be comforted, listen to me please yes your words can comfort them but never will your words bring the measure of comfort that the word of god can bring to them so what would be better before you go to them to comfort them is go ahead and review some scripture so that when you meet with them, hey, I've been looking at some scripture and I, I, I think the word can help you in this. I had this opportunity uh, yesterday, after, late afternoon. Um, my, my dear friend, one of my closest friends, Greg King, uh, suffers with ALS and he's coming to the end of his journey. And Mary reached out and said, uh, Greg, uh, if, if you wanna come, uh, he had a rough night last night, so maybe come on, on Wednesday. And I said, uh, that's fine, Mary, I'll be there. Um, and then she called back <clears throat> around noon and said, I-, I think maybe you ought to come now. So, so Renee and I, renee left work, we went straight down to their house in gardens. And uh, <clears throat> he's still with us, he, he's, he's lingering. In fact, I think he had a rally because all of his siblings, he comes from a very large family, a Catholic family in Minnesota. And most of his family members are not saved. But he is. I mean, this guy is, and that's what I love about him, the the sweet fellowship that he and I over the years shared, praying together, meeting together, witnessing together. Um, Greg was not afraid to tell anybody about Jesus at any time. And uh, he was in the working world, in the business world, his job was he he sold, he was the manager of the ABC affiliate channel PBF, WPBF, channel 25 down in West Palm. He sold the airtime. He was a salesman, and he was very good at it. And he would talk to a CEO. He didn't care, and he's going to bring Jesus into it. I can't tell you every time that I would show up a little late for lunch, if I came in three minutes after or five minutes after, and there were times he came late, but I mean, when I was late, I'd come in, here'd be Greg, this guy in a suit, in this little Thai restaurant, people everywhere, and he's got his little Bible. He's in the Word. Because the Word is what pulled him out of his mess when he was a party animal. And God transformed his life and saved his wife and saved his daughter. And She's now married to a a worship pastor. And so when I got there, oh, this is kind of interesting. Mary had told him that morning, Greg wants to come. And he said, not today. And she said, why? And he said, I can't speak. And she looked at him and said, Greg, he's not coming for you to have to speak. He's coming. He said he wanted to pray with you and he wanted to read the scripture with you. And so when we showed up, that's what I did. I went into the room, I greeted him, I loved him, kissed him on the forehead. And then I said, Greg, the greatest thing I could do for you right now, brother, is open the word of God. Went to John 14, 1, went to Revelation 7, 13, went to Revelation. I I just worked all the scripture that I could remember about heaven and what's about to happen for him. And as he laid there, he when I first came in, his eyes shot wide open, and he was looking at me the best he could. And then they closed for the rest of the time. But as I was reading the word of God to him, he was like this. It was doing something in him. What it was doing, I could never do in my words to him. And his brother showed up, his, his sister-in-laws, uh, not all of them, uh, two of the brothers, another was coming in that night. They were all gonna meet with him that night because they didn't know if he'd make it through the night. And uh, uh, so I had a chance to share the gospel with them. And uh, then I walked out of the room into the living area and uh, his daughter, Kathy, who, who grew up with our daughter Lauren, they are best buddies. And Kathy came up just tears flowing and my tears were flowing in my eyes as well. And she gave me a big hug and she said, Pastor Greg, thank you so much because we've not been able to minister to our dad like that. And I thought, all I did was read scripture and it meant that much to that family. that the word of God was read we have such a rich resource with us all the time. And, and so you say, I don't know a lot of scripture. That's why you, before you go to meet with someone that you're going to be sharing with and encouraging or comforting, go through the scripture. Get a concordance. Look up the word suffering or comfort. And and, and, and write those passages down so that when you sit with them, you can just read to them. You can do this. It doesn't have to be a pastor. I'm always happy to do it, but I, I've said this many times years ago. If I walk into a hospital room and there's already you know, people in the room from the church who are sitting there visiting, which that's kind of hard to conceive after COVID, isn't it? That they'd let people sitting around in the room. But, but you remember those days and maybe it'll happen again. But if I walk in and... All of a sudden, it's like everybody's, there's a sigh of relief. Oh, Pastor Greg's here. As if if when I pray, the person's going to levitate off the bed and just be healed. It's ridiculous. The most beautiful picture in my mind of comforting one another was when we had a a dear saint, uh, Christine. She was 40 years old, dying of cancer and Christine was in hospice care down in West Palm, and Rini and I were on a date on a Thursday night, and that was the night that her small group always met. And so I said to Renee after our dinner, I said, hey, I don't really know if I want to do a movie. I said, what do you think about you and I going over and just sitting with, with Christine? And she said, that's, 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 I'm so glad you said that. Let's go. We pulled in the parking lot, and Greg Yoder is walking out of the hospice, and he's the small group leader for Christine's small group. And he's tearing up. And he said, Pastor, we just had the most beautiful worship service with Christine. She had been like comatose for several days, no response. And Ken Sifford brought his guitar and was sitting there just strumming lightly in her room. And probably 12, 15 people standing around the bed singing. And her foot started doing this. the most beautiful picture for me as a pastor is not me walking in a room and everybody looking to me like I'm the answer. It's when I walk in the room and I see the body of Christ ministering. What more can I do except just rejoice that the Lord's work went forth by the people of God. But when you minister, minister with the Word of God. Amen? Now, how did we get here? Because it has nothing to do with our story. But I, I'm just, maybe because of my experience yesterday with Greg, and that's just really burdening my heart. And I'm just so thankful, Renee and I rejoiced as we left, that God's Word was so helpful and that we God would allow us to have His Word to share with people. So, so that's so important. And these guys, these prophets, they're not bringing the word of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. They're just bringing their own word. Let's not be like those guys. Let's be true ministers of God. Verse 11 And Zedekiah the son of Chenana made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, and, and uh, go up to, uh, to Ramoth-Gilead in triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. It's interesting. Zedekiah is using a... a uh, it's, it's like uh, he's drawing an illustration. It's a very entertaining presentation that he gives. He has these horns made of iron. And he's getting up there and talking about how... Th- these, these are the horns the king of the north, the king of the south, and you're going to go in and you're going to rip them apart. And, and everybody, ooh, ah, yee, this is wonderful. It had nothing to do with God. It was man putting forth his best presentation, making it try to look like it was God. God help us. God help us. It's never about the presentation. And that's what so many of us hang up on. When we go to minister to someone, what if I say it the wrong way? What what if it doesn't come across the way I hope it does? You can't control the presentation. That's not the focus. The the focus is the message. Get the words out. Lovingly get the words out that they need to hear. It's about substance, not presentation. Amen. Man, oh man. Verse 13, and the messenger who's sent to summon... Uh, Let me share one more story. I just got to say this. This just irks me to no end. Lord, help me to say it the right way. I know of a pastor who met with the worship leader and the worship team at their weekly practice before Sunday. They always had a practice. And he said, hey, I'd I'd like for us, if we could this weekend, to sing this particular song. So if you could rehearse it and practice it and be ready, that would be helpful. And they said, sure, we'll do that. And they did. So that Sunday service was taking place, and he's up there, and he's presenting, getting the body all stirred up emotionally. And then he said this, I just sensed the Holy Spirit moving in this place right now. And he turned to the worship leader and said, I don't know if you know this song, but if we could just sing it. And some of the band members that were on the stage thought, What? You're not being truthful. You're manufacturing a Holy Ghost moment. When the Holy Spirit shows up, folks, we don't need to conjure. We don't need to prop up God's presence. When the Spirit shows up, He pretty much just takes over. All we can do is get out of the way. Amen? And so that's what these guys are doing. They're trying to prop up, make it look like, so Jehoshaphat will be impressed, that they've heard from the Lord. Verse 13, and the messenger who, who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of them and speak favorably. <laughs> Why are you going after the prophet of God if he can't be the prophet of God? You're, you're telling him what to say. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Praise God. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, okay, so the king, he set it up. He told the messenger, you tell him he needs to line up. This is what we need him to say. So, so sarcastically and mockingly, Micaiah comes before the king. And he said, the king said to Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead in battle or shall we refrain? And he answered, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But he said it in such a way, in such a tone, that the king knew he was mocking and that he was being sarcastic. And then the king answered, uh, and then the king said, "How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord?" Blah blah blah, because he knew that Jehoshaphat sees the the sarc- sarcasm. Now he's caught between a rock and a hard place. Ahab. Uh, And so here we see, uh, it's interesting. Micaiah is brought out of prison. If you say, well, how do you know that? 1 Kings 22, verse 26, You got to go further down in our text. It indicates that he came from prison because that's where he was sent back. At the end, after he gave the word of the Lord, Ahab threw him back in prison, okay? Put him on meager rations. So he was a prophet. Listen, when he stood before the king, you want to to see the presentation? You want the picture, the accurate picture? If he was in prison, they brought him before the king, and he's in rags. He's probably, he doesn't look good. He's probably not getting uh, good meals. But this is a prophet of God, and he's not going to give in. Verse 15, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it to the hand of the king. And he said, I saw all is." So then the king's like, no, I need the truth from you. You share the truth. Thinking he's going to say, no, or well, really, I mean, you guys need to go up because the Lord's going to give you the, okay, look at verse 17. And he said, okay, you want the truth? I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me to the Lord? (laughs) Anytime the guy was truthful and that was a negative to the king, the king just, get him out of here. I don't want to hear that stuff. It'd be like you and I, knowing that we have a problem physically, and we go to the doctor because we're concerned about the problem, and we say, Doctor, I think I need a full physical. But, but let me just say this, but I don't want to hear any bad news. I want you to do a full physical, but no bad news. I don't want to hear that, only the good stuff. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's what we're dealing with here. What an idiot. Uh, verse 19, and Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting in his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him, on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth, Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, And you shall succeed, go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, that the Lord has declared disaster for you. You want the truth? You want to know how you can know that I'm speaking for the Lord? And this is what gave this guy, Micaiah, such a strength to stand in the face of opposition. Because... He sees the two kings standing or sitting there on their thrones and their court and everything. But before he got there, God had given him a vision of the king of kings and lord of lords sitting on his throne and the heavenly host around him and the sovereignty of God in full display. And huh, what do I have to fear from these guys? I represent the Lord. and He spoke the truth. Now, something we need to address here. Is it possible that God would actually send an angel from heaven to lie? I do not believe it's possible. I don't believe that's true. When it says that he had them on the right and the left, I think the ones on the left, he he said these are heavenly hosts. The heavens are above us. There's three heavens, right? And these were in the third heaven. Did you know that Satan can access the third heaven? He did it for Job. He literally spoke directly to God the Father in the third heaven. I believe that these are demonic spirits that are standing there, and God orchestrating everything. Friends, I want to tell you something. There's nothing on this earth that happens apart from God's willing or His allowing. Nothing. Nothing. You say, "Why would God do that to test us?" He'll allow testing. He allowed Satan to tempt Jesus in the wilderness after forty days. If God didn't allow it, Satan would never get to Jesus. In fact, Satan didn't even know who Jesus was. He couldn't find. He couldn't figure out who the guy was. He even had Herod try to kill all the boy baby boys because he didn't know which one. The first time he found out who Jesus is is when God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And now Satan's like, whoop! And that's God saying, okay, now you can tempt him. Everything God is in. Your God is bigger than Satan. He's more powerful than Satan. He's creator of all. God can handle every situation. And he has a judgment that he wants to bring against Ahab, the king, who's been wicked from day one. And he's going to allow a spirit, an evil spirit, to come and bring lies, Four hundred, probably 400 evil spirits, one for each of those 400 prophets, because they opened themselves to that nonsense. And here they are lying, all by the hand of God. And Micaiah is saying, all that's happening right now that Jehoshaphat's not aware of, or maybe he suspects it, but he's not sure, all this, this lying, all the, what you're saying, God planned all this. You thought you came up with it. You devised it. God devised it in heaven. You fell into it because you're given to it. That's what sin does to us. We give ourselves to sin. Sin takes over. That's why it says in Romans three times, God said when He's talking in Romans chapter 1, and He's talking about uh, the depravity of man and sin, and three times He says, I gave them over to, first, sensuality, where they would only be driven by the five senses. Then I gave them over to sexual impurity. And then finally, I gave them over to a reprobate mind. I gave them to it, they wanted it. So I'm going to give them what they want. And that's what God did here in this case. Does that help at all for us to understand? Uh, Yeah. Write these passages down if you want examples of Satan actually speaking, going to heaven. Write these passages. First of all, Job 1.6. Write down Revelation 12.10. And then Revelation 20.14 and 15. What these passages are going to show you is that God allows evil in His presence. Some of us think, well, God could never allow evil in His presence because He's so holy. That's not true. He allows Satan in His presence. He allows evil spirits. And all evil will be removed one day by God. Praise God. We won't have to deal with evil anymore. Amen? But in in this age, the church age, He has not pulled Satan back. He has not thrown him into the lake of fire yet. Satan has freedom by God to do his work on this this earth. That's why he's the prince of this world. So false prophets can be led by Satan, not just the flesh. And, And Micaiah said, you're not led by your flesh, which is evil. You're led by Satan himself. You don't know it. And God's the one that's giving you what you wanted. You wanted the lie, God's going to give you... And you're gonna, you're gonna, and and the whole thing sets up for Ahab to die, to be judged by God. Verse 24. Then Zedekiah the son of Chanana came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, "How did the spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you?" So, this guy is so ticked off, mad. He's rebuking the man of God, uh, Micaiah. And what? Who do you think you are to have the audacity? to challenge the word of the Lord that God gave to all 400 of us. That's what he's saying. And then he smacks him on the face and says, so, which direction did the Spirit come from for that? Okay? And look what Micaiah says in response, verse 25. Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. I don't need to answer you, but a day's coming, friend. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you people. So, you know what? If the things I said don't happen, then I guess I I didn't tell the truth. Uh, Verse 29, So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth, Gilead. (laughs) So after all this, and he even describes the vision from heaven, why what he's saying is true, and it's from God. Even still, Ahab and Jehoshaphat of all people, they go up to battle against Ramoth, Gilead. What does the scripture say? Pride goeth before the fall. There's only one reason Ahab would enter the battle, because his pride couldn't handle being proven wrong by Micaiah. So he courageously opposed a true prophet. Wow, what a fool. To courageously oppose a true prophet of God. Mm. But what's what's hard to understand here is why Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, would enter the battle with Ahab. He should have believed the prophecy of Micaiah, even he went up. All I can think is, he's weak. He still fears that if they don't take it from the Syrians, he's going to have Syrians 30 miles from Jerusalem. He's thinking in his own mind instead of letting God play things out. His per- and so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. So his pride wouldn't allow him to back down from the battle. But since Micaiah's prophecy uh, was that he would die in battle, he tried to hide the enemy from recognizing him. But he wanted the king of the southern kingdom to dress like a king. (laughs) You go ahead and wear the king garb. I'm going to disguise myself. Hey, let me tell you something. When God puts forth His word... Whatever that word is, it will come to pass. No matter how we try to hide, no matter how we try to, to, to somehow change the scenario. Not gonna happen. Again, the behavior of Jehoshaphat's baffling. I, I don't get it. Verse 31. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the great of the king of Israel. I don't want you wasting your time with the armies. I want you to look for the king of Israel and kill him. OK? So evidently Ahab's prior mercy that he showed the king of Syria by sparing his life if the king would give back all the, the land that belonged to his father, uh, all of a sudden uh, it's not working. Now on the surface, it looks like it is. OK, so the king wants to kill wants to kill Ahab. So Ahab's in disguise. It, oh, that's a, that's a wise military decision. Watch and see what happens. Verse 32, And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, the southern kingdom king, they said, It is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. (coughs) When we get further understanding from 2 Chronicles, the Chronicles give you details that the king summarizes. So in 2 in, in Chronicles 18.31, I'll read it for you. As soon as the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It is the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him. So when he saw that they were trying to kill him, he called out for help from the Lord, and the Lord helped him and spared his life. So the Lord's protecting Jehoshaphat, but he's not going to protect Ahab. Verse 34, but a certain man, in other words, a no-name, just a soldier of the Syrian army, drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. In other words, you can run, but you cannot hide from God. God's will is always accomplished, in this case, by a random arrow in battle. He thought he was outsmarting. He knew what Micaiah had said, you're going to die. And he's like, no, I'm going to disguise myself. Nobody's going to get me. Uh, It was a random arrow shot by a soldier. Why did he shoot even that arrow towards that direction? Because, Because Ahab looked like a foot soldier. And God sent an arrow to hit him, a mortal wound. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. Okay, so let me explain that. So get me out of the battle, I'm wounded. But he goes to the side of the battle, but then makes sure that they prop him up as a king overseeing the battle, facing the enemy so that it would inspire his men to keep fighting. So he was still being courageous, but it was too late. God took his life. And as soon as he died, look what it says. And about sunset a cry went through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. Why? Because as the battle continued that day and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died and the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. So the men who were fighting for him realized he was dead, and God sent them all home. It's over for Ahab. Now, what's interesting, he did face the end of his life bravely by facing the Syrian army to inspire his troops. But he died foolishly by not obeying God, by not following the word of the Lord. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. That's the capital of the northern kingdom. And they buried the king in Samaria. So, what does that mean? It means everything that Micaiah said was true. King Ahab never returned to Samaria or Israel in peace. Verse 38 And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Wow. I want you to get this picture. Get this picture. Ahab played the spiritual harlot. He had given himself over to idolatry and exposed Israel to greater idolatry. There were kings before him that also fell into idolatry, but he legislated idolatry. He made it the way of of the land. Okay, So here he is, and it's a picture of him as a spiritual harlot being associated with the physical harlots at his death. And by the way, that's in accordance with prophecy. Let me give it to you. It was spoken by Elijah back in chapter 21, verse 19, and also by Micaiah in, our, in this chapter in verse 17. 1 Kings 21, 19 says, And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, You have killed and also taken possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. And that's exactly what happened. And then this was an almost fulfillment of God's word through Elijah, where even though they did lick the blood which is part of the fulfillment it didn't he didn't die in the place that god said he would die why remember when ahab repented last week you learned he had a a, a season of repentance and so god lifted that judgment but then after he had a short-lived repentance and turned back against god again so god brought that uh that judgment upon him but allowed it to happen in a different location than the original prophecy Okay, verse thirty-nine. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, and the ivory house that he built and all the cities that he built, they are not written in the book. Uh, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah, Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So uh, there is another prophecy fulfilled in the death of Ahab. If you go back, go back to chapter twenty. Verse 42, remember the anonymous prophet? We don't have his name, but he was a prophet of God. And back in 1 Kings 20, verse 42, and he said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have let go out of your hand the man who I devoted to destruction, you made a deal with the king of the northern kingdom. You should have killed him. That was the plan. You didn't obey God. Therefore, your life shall be for his life and your people for his people. So there again, your life will be for his life, and that's what happened. He died on that battlefield. Now, the second part of that prophecy, and your, his people for your people, that doesn't occur till later when uh, the northern kingdom is hauled off into captivity by the Assyrians. Um, verse 41, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughters of Shilhi. He walked in all the way of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. So now we get just a little bit of a quick history on Jehoshaphat and his father Asa, and they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's good. That's the southern kingdom. Uh, But he didn't do everything right. One of the things he did not do was destroy all the high places. If you look at the next verse, or verse 43, the latter part of the verse, yet the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the kings of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And from the land, he exterminated the remnant of the male cult prostitutes who remained in the days of his father Asa. There was no king in Edom, a deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish in that region to go to Ophir uh, for gold, but they did not go, for the ships were wrecked by Ezion Geber. Uh, then uh, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, let, me, let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, uh, his father, and Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. So if you want the full picture of Jehoshaphat's reign, you would want to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 17, and there you'll see verses 7 through 10. I'm not going to read it for you, but you can learn more. What he did, one of the greatest things he did as king was in the southern kingdom, he raised up sixteen, I'll just say, teachers. They were Levites, they were prophets, or priests rather, and he raised them up and they go out throughout all of uh, Judah and they proclaim the Word of the Lord. They teach the Word of God to the people. And it brings a national uh, revival, so to speak. Uh, that was one of his greatest accomplishments. But he didn't knock down all the high places. He didn't completely Get rid of all the idol worship, which is crazy. Uh, Here's some things that is said about him in Chronicles. He established a permanent military garrison along the northern frontier. He trained and equipped a sizable army uh, that was able to quell an invasion. Uh, He placed Edom under Judean control. He controlled all the caravan routes uh, to the south. God blessed his reign so much that the fear of the Lord came upon neighboring nations so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat because they knew God was with him. What does the scripture say? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. When nations know that we are trusting in God, man, they know better. They know better than the mess with us. And that's what he's seeing here, what we're seeing here. Uh, Jehoshaphat was also the king connected to the famous incident when the army of the Judah saw a great victory won as the Levites led the battle with praise. Remember that? They went out ahead of the battle and they praised the Lord and literally won the battle by praise. Pretty cool. But in all of his accomplishments, he still allowed the high places. So, interestingly enough, in 2 Chronicles, not in Kings, but in 2 Chronicles 17.6, it actually says that he did, he did take, way, take away the high places. So is that a contradiction to what the kings say? Because they said he didn't. It's not. Here's the deal. There were two types of high places. The first type was where idolatry occurred. They were built for the purpose of idolatry. The second place were the high places that were built before the temple was built in Jerusalem. Remember, God gave them certain places, Shiloh and other places, high places. They never knocked those down, and they were overtaken by... Uh, idol worship he should have taken those out as well he did not okay I thought that was quite interesting Um, verse 51 Ahaziah the son of Ahab began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat king of Judah and he reigned two years over Israel he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother Jezebel and in the way of Jeroboam the son of Nebat who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. His father Ahab reigned for 22 years. He reigned for two years. And so this is really the end of this Kings. It doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. But, uh, but this, is the, this is the fallout of sin. Leaders at the top who don't obey God and it affects the people. People suffer because of false leaders or erroneous teachers. That's why it's so important that we always base what we're saying from the Word of God and that we teach the Bible so that you will know how to discern between what is true out there in the world, in the church, and what is not. What is erroneous and what is is of God. And the only way to know that is not because of your opinion or my opinion, it's because you've, you study and you know the Word of God. The more you know this, the more you can discern what is unrighteous from righteous. Amen? You can discern what is authentic from what is fake. Amen. Amen. Uh, somebody just recently said to me that they were concerned because somebody that they, that they know uh, watches uh, uh, TBN, and some of these preachers that are just getting up there and spouting off and just, it's, there's no Bible in it. There's no truth to what they're saying, and, um, and they're concerned for them. and But here's my response is, when we dedicate ourselves to, the, to know the Word of God and to be led by the Word of God, then you will easily recognize what's not of the Lord. You'll easily recognize it. Whenever you see a pastor who promotes himself and who talks all about him, and the way he dresses, and the way he carries, and the car that he drives, and it's all about status, it's all about favor of people. Run from that nonsense. True men of God, like Micaiah, they spent their time in prison. They dressed in rags, but they gave the truth of the Word. You want to be under somebody who's going to be faithful and true to the Word of God. Amen? And, and, but, but if you don't know better, if you don't know the Word, then you could easily be taken by some of these guys who really are, uh, they're charismatic. They know how to communicate in such a way as to persuade you. And you can end up spending your whole night listening to these knuckleheads and, and, and all their shenanigans. And we just have to be careful. We have to be careful. And I, I guess I'm not, please don't take what I just said uh, beyond what I said. I didn't say everybody on, on TBN is like that. There might be, I don't know, I've never watched TBN. There might be some solid Bible teachers, okay? Could be, I don't know. But I do know from what I hear that there are guys on there that are not solid. That are not solid. And we need to be careful not to be taken. Amen? Okay. Good to be with you guys. This has been wonderful tonight just to get in the word together. Hey, we'll start next week with 2 Kings. And we'll uh, open that up, and it's going to be a great study as well. And uh, make sure you love each other. Spend some time talking and pray together if you need to. There's some food left, coffee, and enjoy. Yes! Yes, what's the name of it again? Okay, so there's a movie at AMC Theater. It's going to be there for at least another week or two weeks. It's called Life Mark, and it's about uh, pro-life. It's, it's, it, they said it's an excellent movie. Is it a person's personal story? Yeah. So a true story. So it sounds like it could be a really good me- movie to go see. So it's playing at, uh, at the AMC, uh, Life Mark. Okay? Thank you for sharing that. Okay. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for your word and thank you for this time together. Lord, cover us in your truth. Cover us in your righteousness so that we are are equipped, we are thoroughly prepared to recognize what is of you and what what is not. And I pray that this body would lead tonight encouraged, built up, strengthened, and matured in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, folks.